Hello, you lovely, lovely people. Welcome to episode 15 of the BJJ Strength podcast. Today, I'm going to bring you an interview with Marty Green, who is head strength and conditioning coach and owner of Cumbia, Cumbria sorry, Strength and Conditioning in the northeast of England. He trains several professional boxers, uh, MMA fighters, and also a number of jiu-jitsu fighters as well. It's a really, really good interview. Matty's Ma- a great guy, but taking all that aside, very, very informative. I genuinely learned a lot from the interview today, came across some information, some books, some resources, some particular exercises, um, some particular protocols that I haven't come across in the past. And, you know, I think I'm definitely going to need to get Matty back on, back on the show uh, at a later point in time. One of the things that really jumped out at me was what he calls blood flow restriction training, which is definitely not putting rubber arms around your bands or your legs, completely different form of blood flow restriction. And I'd never come across that before. And he talks about that towards the end of the show. So, you know, he, Matty's got a lot to say in this interview. I, I really enjoyed speaking to the guy. I think you're going to learn a lot from the from this from this show. I hope that I have him on in the future because I think we're only just scratching the surface with his knowledge. Very, 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 very knowledgeable guy and a great guy to go with that as well. So I really hope you enjoy the show. And before we get into it, just as a reminder, the lower back pain solution or the BJJ Strength lower back pain solution is now up and available for sale. That's a, it's a three-module, 12-week program targeted specifically at the jiu-jitsu athlete who either has lower back pain or has suffered from lower back pain in the past and wants to you know really eradicate that and it's going to tackle your, your lower back pain but also overall strength and performance and the reports i'm getting back from the clients using the program so far it's make not only fixing their lower back pain but making them feel a lot better on the mat so make sure you head over to bjjstrength.com and look for the lower back pain solution there's a free ebook with some information in there as well um on you know some free information on how you can tackle your lower back pain um so check it out guys but with that let's get on with the interview with maddie you're listening to the bjj strength podcast helping you be your best physically on the mats and off the mats with your host bjj black belt and physical optimization specialist Lawrence Griffiths. No problem. Okay, guys, welcome to the latest episode of the BJJ Strength Podcast. Today, I'm very fortunate to have Matty Green with me, who is head coach of Cumbria <clears throat> Strength and Conditioning. If you don't know where Cumbria is, it's about as north as you can go in England before you get to Scotland. Really beautiful part of the world where the Lake District is. I uh, spent a little bit of the time there myself. Very uh, very idyllic looking at where the gym is placed, uh, Matty. Um, but Matty also used to be a former Royal Marine, Royal Marine Commando. He was in the Marines for 10 years. Um, I, you know, Matty, you can correct me on this in later, but I think a good equivalent of what the Royal Marines are for the US audience is similar to the Navy SEALs. So kind of, you know, an, an elite military force. And the dropout rate for the training for the Royal Marines is between 75 and 85%. So, you know, only, you know, 25 to 15% of people make it through. So it gives you some idea of, um, you know, the caliber of the person Matty is to get through that. And he's also a level two British weightlifting coach. 
He's a functional movement screening practitioner, um, qualified in strength matters level two. And Matty, you can correct me any of the, on any of this in a second. Um, but he also trains several British, uh, professional British boxers, um, some MMA fighters as well as uh, BJJ fighters and also uh, rugby and rugby league players. Um, you know, he's had some exposure to BJJ himself. So really interested to speak to Marty today and just get his insights on, you know, his approaches to strength and conditioning. And I think you're going to learn a lot, um, you know, from what he does. So with that, Marty, uh, say hello to everyone. How are you doing, Lawrence? Thank you. Uh, f- thank you for having me. Yeah, um, no, not a problem at all. Not a problem at all. So C- Cam- Cumbria, before you got any further north than Cumbria, you are in Scotland, right? Um, pretty much, we're in the, uh, the South South Lake, so we're not too far from um, just coming off the M6, I guess, like Carlisle, you're looking, that's closer, obviously, further up north, but we're, we're South Cumbria, so we can almost, I mean, I can see Blackpool Tower pretty much from, from where we are. So, really? Um, yeah, we're not, what, not too far north, but yeah, we're, we're pretty north in <clears throat> Yeah, people people think of the people think when they think of the north, people often think of Liverpool and Manchester, but you're, yeah. and then they they think it stops. But you're even further north than that, right? Yeah, we're we're a couple hours northwest of of Manchester. The analogy I was thinking of coming into this show is if you're if people are uh, fans of Game of Thrones, Marty lives about where the wall is. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's about, <laughs> that's about winter is coming. Um, it is. It definitely is at the minute. <laughs> So, um, Marty, where, where, where should we start? I'm thinking, you know, maybe, maybe a bit with the, 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 the tight time in the Marines. When did you, when did you first join the Marines or get into, get into the Marines, I should say? Yeah. So, um, I joined, I'd only just turned 17, um, back in 2002, um, decided pretty much from, um, towards the end of school that I wanted to join. Um, joined the Royal Marines and yeah went for it um, September 2002 somehow didn't get injured on my way through uh, training which like <laughs> as a kid growing up playing a lot of football and, and boxing I was getting injured quite a bit so for me to get all the way through training without getting injured and, and pass out as an original was was something pretty special so really? yeah um, passed out in um, May 2003 um, and then the following year pretty much went to uh, Iraq with 40 Commando. Wow. So um, you were like 17, 18 years old? Yeah, I was 18 years old, yeah. 18. Straight, straight yeah. into it. I had my, had my 19th birthday out in Iraq. Oh, wow. <laughs> the place to celebrate. It was. We actually, it was the first time we went to uh, an American camp um, yeah. and got to have a load of American food. It was, compared to what we were eating, it was, it was class, but you could only eat for so long. Like it's just absolute awful. But at the time, it was my birthday, so I uh, I indulged quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't imagine they have the best the best of the best food out there. But with it, um, no. can you <clears throat> can you drink on base? Are you know, is there any alcohol? Um, there was uh, pretty much a two can rule, um, but it depended where you are in in the country um, and what what jobs we were doing. Um, when I was up in Baghdad, we managed to get hold of quite a little quite a bit of beer so yeah uh, yeah we might have got pissed a couple of times but <laughs> we, uh, we won't talk about that one that's another sto- <laughs> another sto- another story for another time um, yeah. <laughs> so the I, I know a friend that um he he went through the, the marines training and he fractured a hip 
So it's funny that you thought you fractured a hip and couldn't then ended up having to drop out. So it's funny yep. you talk about injuries. Um, how, how tough is the training? How long is it and how actually tough is it? Um, it's 32 weeks. It was, uh, it was 30 weeks when I was there. They've added in a couple of weeks. So it's uh, the longest infantry, tra- infantry training in the world. Um, and yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, I guess as a 17-year-old, I was pretty uh, wet behind the ears. I, I didn't have much life experience. So um, I think the only job I had before that was uh, a paper, paper round, morning yeah. paper round, and uh, a little part-time job at a supermarket so um it for me I kind of just did exactly what I was told um kind of wanted to be the gray man just kind of like just get through training but um you, you really start learning to become a Royal Marine and a soldier when you leave training because there's so much to learn you, you find um and I, I kind of realized this throughout my last role in the Royal Marines, which was taking recruits through training, that you don't get much time to learn and process what you're learning. Mm-hmm. So by the time you've, you've, you've learned a new skill, you, the next week you're on a new, another new skill. So you'll kind of forget. Yeah. So until you pass out of training and then really start learning how to become a soldier. And, um, you know, that's, that's where I thought that really started to learn was, was after I passed out of training, but the uh, the physicality side of things, it was um, yeah, it was pretty tough, pretty pretty horrendous in some places. Um, the 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 build up, the culmination of all training is the uh, the commando course. So the four commando tests, we've got the in, the endurance course, which is two mile uh, round Woodbury Common through tunnels and um, up and down hills uh, with a four mile run back to camp and then you have to get six rounds onto a 10 um, out of 10 at 25 meter target. Um, so you what? can pass after can the running. So you're already knackered. Run, yeah. yeah. So you, you, you get back to camp, <clears throat> you're pretty, pretty knackered. Um, so you could do that. You could, you could get the fastest time ever, but then if you can't, uh, if your weapon's not firing, if it's not ready by the end, you could fail. Yeah. So, You've, you've got to make sure that's kind of good to go. Um, after that is the nine-mile speed march. So as a group, you'd, you'd speed march for nine miles <clears throat> uh, in 90 minutes. Uh, that's on the Monday. The Tuesday would be the Tarzan assault course. So it's um, a lot of high, high obstacle rope course, um, rope obstacle course, and then round the bottom field um, at Limston, which is pretty kind of renowned for, for how tough it is that's got to be done and I think it's 13 or 14 minutes wow um, and then the, the big one on the Wednesdays the, the 30 miler uh, which must be done in under 8 hours as a, 30 as a miles section. are you carrying are you, ca- are you carrying a load Loaded. yeah you've got uh, roughly 50 pounds and your, and your weapon 40 to 50 pounds and your weapon so so you've got to do 30 miles in 8 hours with yep. 50 pounds Backpack, I'm assuming, and yeah. carrying your weapon. How much does the weapon weigh? Yeah, uh, around about nine pounds. Nine pounds. <sighs> if anyone, if anyone, go on. I was going to say, I, I'm going to give. I've, I've, I've never done that right, but <clears throat> I remember picking up something in. A, this is going to be really random, right? This is going to make me sound really manly. But we were in a charity shop in, when we lived in London, and we saw an old school sewing machine. 
Right, and that, there is a there is a point yeah. to this, but uh, I said to the missus, "Oh, do you know what? I'll just carry it home." And it was weighed about ten pounds, maybe. And I thought yeah. it's about a mile and a half walk. Oh, no worries, I can <laughs> I can I can carry that. And then after about five hundred yards, carrying something for that long, you realise how damn heavy that is. So I I can only yeah. imagine what it's like to carry that on the backpack for thirty miles. I guess I guess by that time of training, yeah, it's it's part of you, like really. It'd be weird not to carry carry it. Um, so, yeah, you're kind of conditioned to to that kind of um, that weight, if you will. I mean, that was that wasn't really heavy either. Um, that's that's a weight where we could kind of like speed march across the flats and yeah. the downhills, and then just kind of walk up the uphills. So, um, the hardest bit is going over the terrain, and but you, you know, by the end of it, what you're going to get. It just drives you forward. You're going to get a, your green lid, your green beret at yeah. the end. Um, so really, as a, as a section, as a group of lads, you've been together for, for almost 30 weeks and you just, you're ready for it. Um, you just carry, you carry each other on at that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, everybody has a low point, pretty much. Um, yeah. But, you know, my oppo would would get me through it and then I'd get him through it in the next few few miles or something. So, What's an yeah, oppo? A mate. Okay. A mate, so yeah, yeah, one of your mates, best yeah. mates. Yeah. So is is the dropout rate seventy five to eighty five percent? Is that correct? Um, I, I, I mean, I'm not sure what it is now. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm unaware what it is now. Now, um, about a year ago, I've still got some friends um in the Marines, and I asked one of them. He's a PTI, so um, physical training instructor. Uh, I asked him if he could get hold of any like injury rates for the Royal Marines. Um, and he managed to get me the last kind of eight years worth of mm. injuries. Um, I think it was like 2008, 2016. Um, so I'd, I'd see, um, and there's a point to this, why, why, why I asked him for these. And yeah. the, biggest, the biggest kind of uh, setbacks for the recruits was, was ankles, knees, and lower backs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of, because I, um, after... I left the Marines in 2012. I suffered uh, three herniated discs in my spine. So from L3 to S1, wow. um, I herniated them. So I kind of started to learn quite a bit about the back and, and why it had happened to me. Um, and I kind of attribute a lot of it to the Royal Marines. Um, the training we did, or lack of some training, you know, I think they could benefit from, maybe not in in training itself, but definitely post training when you're at a unit. Yeah. Um, so we were doing a lot of, uh, a lot of running, a lot of high intensity workouts, uh, fat leg training, yep. um, press ups, uh, sit ups, which is, I believe the biggest kind of lower back killer. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it wasn't preparing my spine for the loads in which I had to carry. So when, uh, on, on operations in Afghanistan, I weighed, 85 kilos unloaded um and then with all my kit on i was 150 150 kilos so um, close to double your weight it's close to double my body weight having to move around with that weight um you know run about hopefully not get shot um <laughs> yeah you know so you know it's not just walking with this weight you, you, you're shifting at some yeah. points um and my spine wasn't ready for that and, and i'm six foot two so you know, the taller the spine, the the more kind of shear load that can go across it when mm-hmm. 
um, when performing these kind of movements. And I didn't know how to move properly or well with these loads. So I was, I was putting myself into flexion um, trying to stand up at any way I could. You know, we, at some points you, you're like a turtle. You're on the yeah. back, you're on your back at some point. The lads are helping you up. Um, and my spine, unfortunately, gave out. Um, it gave out doing doing CrossFit. I don't really attribute it to that. I think it just exasperated the, the, the injuries that were already there, and then it went. It finally went. Um, so I wanted to see the injury rates, and if there's anything we could hopefully maybe do in the future to change that. Um, but no one really likes change, so it's who do you approach within. You know, Royal Marines training is is exceptional. But yeah. who can you approach to show them the figures and and try and change that? Um, mm. So that would be that would be tough. But there's definitely much much more effective ways of strengthening the torso than sit ups and crunches. <laughs> I, I can't rem- I can't remember the last time I prescribed sit ups to someone. No, I don't think I ever no. have. I don't think I well, ever have. So, Exactly, but they're just so prevalent, aren't they? Like you go into a normal gym, they're there. You know, everyone's doing them. I sit that's up. And that's I old school. Sit ups are old school. Yeah, I know. But so unfortunately, I, it's still that type of mentality. I've just done a lot of stuff actually on lower back pain, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna plug this because I can. It's it's my podcast, and you can plug whatever yeah. you want as well. By the way, I've just launched yeah. a program called the Lower Back Pain Solution because it's um it's up on the site at the moment. It's a big problem in jujitsu. What were the what are the what what are the things that you did to fix it? And obviously, it seems like it's a kind of a not a problem area for you, but a focus area for you at the moment. What are the kind of things that you focus in on to try and solve those problems? So, first thing I did was I did what everyone does and seeked out. This is when I lived in Australia, so I left the Marines, got a mm-hmm. job out in Australia, um, and then seeked out physios, chiros, um, help. I, I couldn't move. Uh, I needed an MRI scan. Um, the the doctor who interpreted my MRI scan told me never to lift again. Um, oh, and I said, lift what? And he <laughs> said, pretty much anything. Um, you know, I'd herniated, like I say, L3 to S1. Uh, I had spinal stenosis, uh, degenerative disc disease, which, you know, pretty much every person has. But when you hear that for the first time, you have yeah. degenerative disc disease. Yeah. I was, my God, I've got a disease. Yeah. Um, and then I, this, this having this doctor tell me, you know, don't lift again. Um, that I, I'm not that type of person to just roll over and say, well, my doctor's told me not to lift. And if I did that, I would definitely not be a head coach at a, a strength and conditioning gym. I definitely wouldn't be where I am now. So yeah. I kind of thought, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, after surfing the internet looking for you know you go through the 10 best ways to reduce back pain and all this type of stuff i found uh stuart mcgill mm-hmm. um, i found a pdf version of his lower back disorders one of his first books yeah um, and i read it and i had to google pretty much everything because i had no clue what anything was um it was written for the medical professional, which obviously clearly wasn't. So I had to really go through it bit by bit and then pretty much learn um, 
what was bad for back the back, what was better for the back, and uh, three of his movements. So they call them the big three: uh, the curl up, the bird dog, and the side bridge um, yeah. or side plank. Uh, and I started doing them day in, day out. But it wasn't just them that got me better. Like, can you ex- can had- you just can you describe? I think people will know what the side plank is, but can you describe the curl up and the bird dog for people really yeah, quickly? Yeah, so the curl up. If you lay flat on your back, the curl up, lay flat on your back, lift um, one of your knees. Um, so your foot's still on the floor, but the knees facing the ceiling. Yeah. You put your hands underneath the small of your lower back and slightly raise the elbows off the floor. What you'll do then is brace your stomach and pretty much squeeze every muscle in the entire body as, as tight as we can. And then you'll lift your chest up towards the ceiling, probably three to four inches. So there's no spinal flexion incurring. You're lifting. What, what that's doing is it's uh, engaging your transverse abdominis and rectus abdominis. So they're really kind of isolated as we lift up. And we obviously don't want to bring the neck in out of alignment. So you just lift your chest raise it up towards the ceiling probably three to four inches nothing higher than that do you know um, I'd hold, do you know do you know sorry. what a ho- do you know what a hollow body hold is yes it yeah. sounds a bit a little similar to that mechanically yes yeah, similar to that um okay. i guess it's a, more of a regression from, yeah from that. yeah absolutely um so i'd hold that position for say 10 seconds i'd lower down mm-hmm. i would change legs and repeat and i'd do like two sets of 10 mm-hmm. um so that's the curl up and then the bird dog is where you're on kind of all fours, quadruped yeah. position. Yeah. Um, make a fist with one hand, and then you push that fist and the opposite heel away from each other straight out as far as you can. Again, you could hold that statically for a period of time, or you could do it for reps. Yeah. Um, if you want to make it harder, you can lift the, the opposite foot off the ground. So it's just your knee and your hand on the ground too. So it adds in that little bit more stability. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, they're, they're, they're the the bird dog and the curler. Perfect, thank you. So um, you so you so you found those exercises. You started you know getting into those those, those three exercises and yeah. But but I had to. It wasn't just that. Like I had to really look at you know why did this happened in the first place, and um, I started really delving into posture and the way I was moving. Mm-hmm. Um, now. Obviously, my time in the Marines had been pretty physical. Um, your recovery practice isn't, let's say, very good. Yep. Um, so after whatever you've done, it's, you know, I've got to stretch off in the shower, lads. There's um, mobility and, you know, stretching, flexibility were not terms that we really knew anything about. No foam rolling? No, nothing, <laughs> none of that. None of that. Yeah. Um, so then I found, um, somehow found uh, Thomas Myers and Anatomy Trains, if you've never never seen I've that not, one. So no, I haven't. I'll need to look that one up. So um, I've not got the book here at the moment. but So Anatomy Trains uh, is all about uh, the fascial lines of the body. Yeah. So how the body moves. Um, Thomas Myers is pretty much the godfather of the of this type of training um, mm. and you know again it's a really hard read for the layman yeah um, but if you know you got Google on hand you can you know delve into it and, and, and kind of get there but um, so looking at my mobility um, going through the different fascial lines so your deep front line back line uh, lateral 
and the, spiral lines and the fascia the fascia line does it does it go from like say the right shoulder to the left foot does it cross in an x they, they do different lines will okay. um so your front your back line will start from your eyebrow yeah and it will go all around the back of the head all the way down the body into the toes down the back wow. line Similar for your front line, we'll start from the top of the toes and come all the way up deep into the, the neck flexors and into the tongue as well. Mm. Uh, similarly, you've got lateral, lateral lines and spiral lines as well. It's, it's extremely inter- intricate uh, and it really kind of opened my eyes to the body being a system and yeah. not just uh, isolated muscles. So we're not going to look at, um, you, you see a textbook and it's like, these are your hamstrings, they do this. This is uh, your, your quads. They do this. This is yeah. a bicep. But they're all linked via this, these fascial lines. Yeah. Now, if we say, let's take the modern Western day job. You're sat behind the desk. Um, you're, you're looking at a computer screen. You're, um, your head starts to droop forward. You know, many people can relate to this type of, yep. this type of position. Now, what this will do is this will... This is your go-to position. So you're there for almost eight hours a day. You then go home, you make your tea, you sit down again. So mm-hmm. this kind of flexed position, it the will turn off certain muscles and it will cause the fascia. So the fascia is what surrounds uh, muscles, tendons, ligaments throughout the body. They will start to think, well, you're here. You're in this position quite a lot. So I'm going I'm to make you better being sat in this position. So I'm going to tighten up your hip flexors. Yeah. I'm going to stop your glutes from working because you don't really need them. You don't use them very often. Yeah. Uh, and your head starts to pop forward. So you know, I'll loosen off your, 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 the, the flexors in your neck and I'll, I'll kind of uh, shorten up the, the, the muscles in your chest. Yeah. Um, so, because you don't really need to go into extension. So we'll just kind of keep you it. And then when you go to the gym and then you start working out and you're in, you're trying to get into extension or say if you're trying to do uh, some Olympic weightlifting or, or running or whatever. Or even, body, or even worse, you just do the beach muscles. Just do the beach muscles and exasperate even further. Yeah. Um, then your body will start to break down. So... I had to look at my really delve into how I was moving. Now my feet used to, used to turn out kind of the duck walk yeah. position. Um, my, I had a, an anterior tilt. So my, my pelvis was really tilting forwards, which meant my uh, lower back was taking a lot of the pressure when I ran, especially yeah. when I ran. Um, it got to a point even when I walked, I'd walk 50 meters on a beach in Australia and I'd, I'd have to stop. Really? Um, and, you know, I'm in front of my, my, my wife and almost breaking down. Like, I used to be a Royal Marine. Now I can barely walk on a beach. What's, what's happened to me? Yeah. Um, so was that, was, out, was, was that a turning point for you, those kind of moments that you're like, shit, I've got to, I need to, I need to no, stop. Because, no, because I, I knew I needed to do it anyway. As soon as the, you know, as soon as the doctor said, you know, you're never going to lift again. I, I still, I knew it had to, I had to change something, but it was just finding what, how, how am I going to do it? 
I had physios who were putting me into um, what's it called traction. So where you kind of like they pull pull your body, I mean, almost opening up your spine. Like stretch you, try to stretch you out almost. You. Yeah, 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 yeah. That didn't work. Um, I had chiropractors who were just clicking me here, there, and everywhere. And then when I look at a chiropractor now, not I'm not going to tie them all with the same brush, but what are they doing? They're just, you know, they can't see your spine. They're just cracking something. Yeah, it feels nice. It might feel nice being cracked about, but it's not going to change the way you move. It's not going to change your movement patterns. It's not going to yeah. change your day job. Yeah. So no wonder it feels nice for the short term, but it ain't going to help you in the long run at all. Yeah. yeah. So what? So, so once you once you started to understand about the fascia lines and how how they worked, what were you? What else did you start putting putting in place? To fix uh, things. So I would do a myofascia release with a lacrosse ball. Um, really target my lumbo pelvic region, so my my TFL hip flexor. Yeah. Um, glute medius, uh, foam roll rectus femoris. Uh, so down the front of my my leg, my quad really. Yeah. Um, and then into my piriformis too, yeah. Um, which can get pretty nasty. Yeah. Um, but again, it's not just those areas. So it could be, it could have been my feet. Yeah. I was, gonna, feet I was going to, I was going to ask you about your feet actually, because I think that's a yeah. big thing that people people miss. Huge, huge thing that people miss. Um, luckily, my feet are pretty good. My knees have always been good. It was, yeah. You know, I definitely put it down to the anterior tilt in my pelvis um and i was slightly kyphotic within my thoracic spine um, Ky- kyphotic explain what that means to people so uh rounding forward of the shoulders and head yeah. okay so the head's kind of slightly rounding forward yeah um it's called kyphosis <coughs> um again sounds a lot worse than what it is but many people are in it so but then <laughs> pretty pretty much everyone you see yeah um but then if you look at kind of I mean, I guess we'll get into jujitsu later on, but these are the positions that you guys are in a lot of flexion, flexion of the hips, flexion of the, the, the neck, everything's in this kind of flexed position yeah. um, under, under stress, under load. So there's no reason why, you know, there's no wonder why there's quite a lot of back issues within jujitsu. The, the, the point that I make to people is that the whole not the whole point, but one of the key aspects, and you know this of jujitsu, is breaking someone's posture. Pulling their posture down, because once their posture is manipulated, they become weak. They're easier to move around, they're easier to attack, right? So a lot of jujitsu revolves around that, either breaking someone else's posture, or you maintaining your posture to stop someone else doing that to you. And the point I make to people is, if you can't maintain a good postural position on a day-to-day basis, what chance have you got to do that on the mat? Yeah. Almost none. Yeah. So was, was this, had you got into strength thinking, strength and conditioning is such a broad term, right? Yeah. I, like to call, I like to call it physical optimization. So yeah. you can call it whatever you want. But did you get into this world through this process or was it something that you were already leaning towards? I guess being in the Marines, we were, you know, I've, I've always been active, always mm-hmm. played sport. Um, so I knew one day, I wanted to do something like this. And it wasn't until I left the Marines, um, luckily landed a, a job, um, you know, a really well-paid job offshore in Australia. 
that I realized I could actually do something with this. Like I could possibly get a gym. It was a dream. It was like, you know, it might happen. It could possibly happen. Yeah. Um, and then I think going through my back injury, I, I, I did a lot of CrossFit. Um, and obviously that has a, rep- has, a re- worse. has a reputation as well, right? It does. Like, um, there's many, many good points to it, but there's also, there can be quite a lot of bad points to it. Um, it's when it's applied incorrectly, right? I yeah. Think. Now, I didn't, at the time, didn't know how to clean and jerk or snatch properly. But yeah, I'm doing it over and over and over again mm-hmm. um, for time. And then I'm getting, I'm getting faster and stronger and, you know, I'm looking better. I think I can improve. I think I can bump those weights up. So I'll, I'll do it. I'll go, I'll go for it. I'll keep going. Um, and then movements I don't believe should be put together, such as deadlifting and burpees. Um, or let's say anything that re- is going to require a stiffening of the spine. So a deadlift, a clean, a snatch, and then anything that's going to require flexion of the spine. So burpees, uh, toaster bar, um, you know, GHD sit up, something, anything like that. You put them two together, you're wearing the discs out within your spine. Yeah. One requires stiffness. One requires mobility and flexibility of the spine. So Mm -hmm. putting them things together in workouts, just, you know, I'm not a fan of. Yeah. I, I went to um, I want, so I'm going to get back onto you opening or getting into strength and conditioning in a second but I went to a workshop with uh, Michael Stromsness I think is how you pronounce his last name he's uh, the, the Enlightened Savage on Instagram Enlightened Savage 101 on Instagram um, and I believe he was uh, I think a Division 1 football player um, or, or whether he played professionally I forget exactly but he was talking about you know he'd damaged his body so much that he'd play a game of American football on a, on a Saturday and couldn't, and not until Thursday could he lift his arm higher than his shoulder. Yeah. So his body became so dysfunctional. And when he, when he learned what was really going on in terms of the, the, you know, the hip alignment, how you stack the rib cage above the hips and how you align the spine, he went down to doing squats with just the bar, so a 20 kilo bar, for a year and a half. Just to yeah. just to retrain proper mechanics and proper core engagement, so it shows yeah. you how much how much you sometimes need to take a step backwards to really then yeah. come forward and get into these get into these movements in the right patterns. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you, I always say, if you if you can't do a movement slow, you shouldn't be doing it fast. Yeah, yeah, slow <laughs> and control first, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, did you did you open a gym in Australia? No, um, it wasn't until we got back in February 15. Um, mm. We were we were waiting the birth of our first uh, first child, first daughter, um, and that we we found the the place. Um, we'd actually found it the the, last, the previous time we came home. So I think it was like July 14, and we said if it was still on the market, then we'd we'd look at trying trying renting it. So yeah, it was still here. Um, I managed to get myself a job at the, the gas local gas terminal at the same time yeah. um, to keep me going and then opening up the gym as well. And I kind of, I was getting through my rehab. Um, I'd found what's called uh, strength education. Okay. Um, guy called Chet 
Mojaria, he's my mentor. Um, he's taught me so much about coaching. Um, you know, not only uh, movement coaching, but um, coaching people, coaching the human. It's not just about getting people in and making them do stuff. It's you yeah. know, understanding the actual person that you're coaching. Um, and so... I'll start recording again. We, we, we were talking about your, you were working with your, your mentor, Chet Midoriya. Yep. Um, yep. And, you, and yeah. he's, he's teaching you not just about, you know, the strength and condition inside, but how, you know, the exercise, but how you actually train people as well. How you, I suppose, the psychological side of things as well. And you started talking about that before yeah. the internet died. Yeah, definitely. Like, so coaching um, the human, at the end of the day, everybody's got... Um, their own way of, of doing things but I like to you know really to kind of get into the heads of the people I'm, I'm I'm coaching see where they're at if they had a good day that's the yeah. main thing like how are they it's just being a, a human like just being a, a nice human speaking to people um trying to get on their wavelength and you know they might have had a shitty day some of some of the members might have had a shitty day they want to come to the gym work out you know just kind of work with them and, and make sure they leave the place happier and in a better way than they, when they came in. Um, but, so, so, but doing so you, that, go on. I was going to ask, so you're not slavishly just following, right, this is what we were going to plan to do today, so this is what we're going to do. You're adapting that based on what the person is bringing to you when they walk through the door. The, pretty much, like, I will have, uh, so at the gym we run conditioning classes, so that will be set. I will program the, the gym classes, um, and that's what we are doing. If there is something that someone's struggling with or if we have certain niggles we need to move around, I'll adapt it to, to, for them so they, they can do that. If more so on my, uh, my one-to-ones with my PT clients, if I've got something in mind and we need to change it, then I've got a think on my feet like I might have someone uh well let's take with the fighters they might be in camp they might be um having a bad week training and they might not if, if I was to push them a little further maybe tax the central nervous system a bit more then they, we could set them up for injury like we know you know some camps can last 12 weeks it's a long time for them to be in camp so I have to adapt it to make sure my number one goal is injury prevention to make sure I don't injure the fighters um so I I I, that's, I cannot afford to to get them injured to let them if I do something stupid it and make them do something that either a they're not capable of or b not ready for then that's my fault and mm. you know that's I have to take that and I take that so seriously because you know some of these guys it's it's they're professional like it can mean um, moving, you know, on to a, a much more high profile fight or, you know, let's, let's face it, nobody wants to lose. And me as a coach, I don't want them to lose either. Yeah. So if, if, if it was, you know, if I did something which forced them to be pulled from a fight, I'm, I've failed. I've not done my job correctly. Yeah. Um, so that's oh, my, my biggest fear, really, training these guys. But it keeps me on my toes and makes me, you know, if, if I know they're coming in and they've got a little bit of a niggle, then I'm going to have to adapt it on the fly mm. right there and then. 
That's an interesting way to look at it because I think a lot of people would maybe assume the the, the goal of a strength and conditioning coach will train working with fighters is to get them into the ring in the highest possible, you know, peak physical condition. Whereas you're, I think you're right, but your main goal is to get them in there and get them in there healthy. Yeah. And the other stuff becomes secondary. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, that the, the the majority of them are going to go into the into the fight with an injury, like okay. that's just the nature of of fighting. Okay. Um, so it's limiting that to the best of our ability, making sure we can still progress in the gym, but making sure ultimately they can fight and they're ready to fight. Um, I think if you ask any fighter, they're going to go in there. They're not going to be a hundred percent. And if they are, you're very, very lucky. So some of the fighters you, you, tr- you work with, um, was it boxing? Some of the professional boxers you started working with, first of all? Because you've got a background yeah. in boxing as well, right? Yeah. So um, uh, a lad called uh, Liam Conroy came, came into the gym pretty much. I'd only just opened, really. It was the August of 2015, and he was one of the local professional boxers. Um, and we got kind of... Uh, a good relationship going on straight away um, and then I started training him um, I think we've had seven seven training camps together now um, seven wins I think it's six six finishes um, three titles and yeah he's now the English light heavyweight champion of uh, wow. so we're doing good um, uh, I also have uh, Michael McGoldrick. He's just really fought on Friday night. It's his third professional fight. He's three and zero now. Wow! Um, and I've been training. You know, not long after Liam came, Goldie started. Goldie came as well. Um, and then, yeah, from there, like obviously, I started training, training the guys. I started getting results, and um, now I've now got quite a few fighters who, who come: um, MMA, boxers, kickboxers, mm. uh, BJJ as well. So. Yeah, it's um, it's something I love to do. Like, unfortunately, due to work commitments or you know or whatever, I've never been able to really fight myself. But yeah. I love any form of combat sport. Yeah, I just love it. I'll watch anything that's on on TV. Yeah, anything. Yeah. Um, okay. But no, even more so now, I I look at how they move within that within that that fight. So I'm not just watching for the sake of watching. I'm seeing how they move. Um, what they need to to do to adapt to the the positions they're in, mm-hmm. um, and how am I going to best train that in the gym? And I'll replicate that because it it's going to be hard to replicate anything, any sport in the gym because it's such yep. chaos. It's such chaos. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but kind of key principles um, behind the exercises we choose, I need to really look at them and and, and think right: is this going to benefit them? for this sport so I'll always say to all of them I'm never going to make you better at boxing I'm never going to make you better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu but I'm going to make you better prepared for that yeah so it should never be right come to me once twice a week and I don't want them chasing numbers I don't want them trying to get a heavier squat or yeah um, like there's no point they're not if they want to do that they'll become a powerlifter yeah so I have to like really key that in you know, some of them start loving the gym a bit too much. And I'm like, well, just remember what you, 
what are you doing? Yeah. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's working well. So it's, um, and what yeah, are, I enjoy it. I've, what are the, what are the, so tip maybe taking, you know, boxing to start off as an example, but then I'd like to get into the MMA and more specifically the jujitsu stuff. What are the kind of exercises oh. that maybe people think you would be doing but you're not doing you're some of the stuff that maybe you avoid that you see maybe is maybe in commonplace in other in other training camps um so i avoid um maximal loading like there is no point in taking a fighter through a one rm a one rep max test we yeah. will be better off predicting that um the the max load i'll go let him go up to is three rep max yeah um now I won't do uh, the conventional deadlift. Um, okay. I don't. I don't think it's got a place. I think we can develop force um, much better through the trap bar deadlift. Um, why? Why do? Why do you think that's better or different? Um, so we can develop much more uh, vertical force into the ground uh, with okay. the trap bar. We don't have to worry about the sheer force of the bar in relation to the lower back into okay. the spine. So again, these, these guys, they're not lifters, they're fighters. I need to make these exercises as safe as possible, but with, with maximum kind of output. So with the conventional deadlift, the bar must move around, uh, or the, the knees must move out of the way of the bar. But a lot of the time, they may struggle hip hinging properly. Um, so if we take them up to a maximal load on a deadlift, we could be doing them a disservice and possibly injuring them. Mm. Uh, and I'll only do uh, heavy, like three RM movements in outer camp. So yeah. It won't be in camp whatsoever. It'll be out of camp. Um, I'm just moving into a strength phase now with, with both boxes with, uh, with Goldie and Liam. So we'll, we'll start that very soon. Okay. <clears throat> um, um, other exercises that I do, um the suitcase deadlift that's a one-arm deadlift to the side right yeah so barbell suitcase deadlift or kettlebell um i find that that trains um grip immeasurably your grip has to become super strong um so i like my the mma lads to do that um but it's Mm -hmm. also training anti-rotation so the, the the ability for your body to resist rotation um done well like i'll be really a, a, a real stickler for this i don't i don't want any shifting of the ankles knees hips shoulders everything must be in complete alignment otherwise they're not going up in weight yeah we're doing them a disservice so you, so you so. start so you start off relatively low and you're yeah. trying if this is how i picture it i'm trying to kind of paint a picture for people listening if you were to draw a straight horizontal line through the hips through the knees through the shoulders and the ankles, when they go up and down, you want them to maintain those lines in a kind yeah. of par- in parallel before you move up yeah. weight. So a perfect hip hinge, um, it would be imagining you've got one bar on the other side. So you set up as if you're about to pick up two bars, but yeah. you've obviously just got the one, and then yeah. you maintain that alignment to, to full extension to the top. Mm. Um, so the suitcase deadlift, I think, is a huge. It will benefit your conventional deadlift as well. Like um, powerlifters, I believe, would really benefit from a, from 
from the suitcase deadlift um, just because the, the, the grip strength um, yeah. involved. So, yeah, the suitcase, I think, is relatively um, – it's definitely under the radar with most people, but I think it should become a staple. So that's for and um, that's for anti rotation. What what's your? Yeah. Favorite? I'm a big fan of rotational work and anti rotation, but specifically for the rotational work, which is massively important in all three sports. Are there are there exercises you favour when you're looking at rotational work? <coughs> um, I love uh, Turkish get up. Mm-hmm. Um, I we do a lot of banded work, so slowly um almost pushing the band out and you be in your stance in your boxing stance or whatever and with one arm you just slowly rotate and press all the way through obviously the resistance band's going to um increase the resistance concentrically as we move out but then on the way back in we we've got to control that on the way on the way back eccentrically so you're not just kind of snapping the the arm back as it yeah. as it as it presses out um throwing Throwing mm. slam balls, medicine balls. Yeah, of course. Um, from from different positions, yeah, you know, your ballistic work. Um, I, I don't think you can develop any, you know, more power in those those particular that transverse plane other than throwing those things as yeah. hard and as fast as you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the windmill, kettlebell windmill. Okay. Yeah. Different. There's many different forms of it. Um, again, I've got to make sure that the the person I've got can handle the type of movement and maintain um, a neutral lumbar spine while that thoracic spine is 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 kind of moving in, in rotation. Yeah. Um, and obviously the stability of the shoulder as, yeah. as we're underneath the load. So we'll probably start off with a, a half kneeling windmill, um, a little bit closer to the ground. Mm. Central nervous system's a little bit um, feels a bit safer down there. So we'll start off there um, and gradually kind of move up in in, in those positions. Um, so you, I do you, a lot of no go on please sorry. I've got um, a question but I'll wait I do a lot of pal-off pal-off presses um, they're mainly I guess resisting rotation um, but the pal-off press uh, either standing split stance what's a pal-off uh, press I've, I've never heard of that what's a pal-off press so pal-off press um, is let's say you've got a resistance band and you uh, choke it against the post so yep. you pull in, you pull in one end of it, and then you will uh, step step out from the post. So you've got some resistance, and you'll press straight out in front of you. Mm. And you're trying to resist the band pulling you in towards the post. Okay, so it's like your. Uh, are you in a boxing stance or your feet square? You could do. You could do either. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, you could. We we do we do half kneeling um, with the knee off the ground. So it's it's gonna you're gonna have to create a lot more stability uh, within the legs. It's an isometric hold too, so your your legs yeah. are in that kind of ninety ninety position as we press out. Um, but the pal off presses and holds are more anti rotation. So again, the ability to resist resist rotation. So what I what I was going to ask you, and this what seems to be coming through loud and clear. If I look at see the suitcase deadlift and the, some of the pointers you talked about. Um, you know, doing the windmill, but doing it half kneeling, but make being really kind of tight on the, you know, a neutral lumbar spine or doing the pal off press. You, you're probably using loads that if, if you ask someone just to pick up that weight off the floor, 
um, or to deadlift that weight or whatever the case may be, or just to push that weight in a kind of a bench press sense, they would do it no problem. But yeah. a lot of the work you're doing is relatively low loads, but re- yep. really honing in on stability through the, through, through the spine, through the hips, through the yep. shoulders, and that correct position when they're moving. So that seems to be coming through loud and clear in, the, in, the, in your approach. Definitely. Um, even when we do any kettlebell work, if it's double kettlebell, let's take the front squat, for instance, um, the load will be offset. So one, one heavier than the other. Okay. Um, that's going to challenge, challenge um, much more um, neurological mapping. The, body's, the brain's going to have to think, well, one, one side's heavier. I need to adjust. Um, and I, I feel your strength gains will be much uh, more quicker, much quicker with offset loads rather than the two, two loads. So say if I've got two 24-kilo kettlebells, yeah, I'd rather do it with a 20 and a 24. Even though it's a lighter weight, my body's still having to adapt to control the heavier load and not compensate. That's a strength that you can't measure or it's harder to measure, right? It's not in the sense of, well, you're stronger because you can squat more. You're stronger because you can recruit more neural pathways in your body to make, to, to recruit and move your body as one unit. So it's that strength yep. that it's pretty hard to measure. It is hard to measure, but then if you take yourself into uh, the grappling world and you're, yeah. let's say, <laughs> let's say you're, you're on your back and you've got, uh, someone's inside control. Mm-hmm. Most of their weight's going to be um, on the one side of your body. Yeah. So your body's going to have to adapt to that that load being on that side, and then obviously you need to create space and explode from that position. Mm. Um, so I feel that the offset load is is much better in preparing the the body for for movement and transferal force rather than um, two loads of the same. Yeah. I'm and you can get heavy with it. Like you can get heavy. Yeah. Like just because they're offset, we we might go an eight kilo difference, which doesn't sound much, but if you've got, you know, a thirty-two and a twenty-four kilo kettlebell, it's it's quite a bit. Uh, if you're I'm doing gonna, rat carries, I'm going to uh, try this because I've got the only two kettlebells that I've got are the same weight of forty-eight kilos, and I can't do that. With two, I can't do that with two forty-eight kilos, but I've got a thirty-two and a, a thirty-two and a twenty-four, so yeah. I'm gonna. I'm going to try that. Yeah, do it. Um, get some front squats in there. Get some carries in there. Maybe uh, contralateral one, twenty-four overhead. Your your thirty-two by your side down down in the uh, in the farmer's position and and see the difference. Like um, we we do a lot of offset carries. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think I mentioned to you in. So yeah, that's how we first. That's how we first connected as well, right? You reached out yeah. to me and was ask, asking my opinion on <clears throat> on doing loaded carries yeah. for, for jujitsu fighters, and I my my opinion was, and that's my opinion at the time, right? And it kind of you know stuff changes all all of the time, but as you get more information, but my my opinion was that for jujitsu fighters, if the if they're already training jiu-jitsu five times a week and sometimes they'll train jiu-jitsu more than one time per day they tend to do a lot of you know grip strength endurance work already when they're training jiu-jitsu so for the grip strength work specifically for jiu-jitsu fighters um, i tend to focus on more shorter 
kind of you know time time frames in terms of the hold. But that, that's that's how we that's how we first connected, right? And I thought maybe yeah. that's a good a good kind of segue into how you then specifically look at strength and conditioning for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And is it Mike Ray's? Mike Ray's. Yeah. So so he goes through. Uh, he's he's um, the owner of Lobo BJJ. Um, yeah, he's, 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 he's a well decorated purple belt, right? I was looking at his Instagram, and he competes a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah, up and so I've not actually been training with Mike. Um, it's, it's Mike's people from Mike's school okay. um, uh, who have been who've been coming. Um, hopefully, one day I'll get to work with him. Um, yeah. And the guys that come to me, his guys are doing really well, like competition wins and meddling at competitions. Um, yeah. So, so he's got a really great school coming out. Um, a lot of a lot of great students coming out from that. So I've got a question. A question for you before we get specifically into some of the stuff you do with the jiu-jitsu fighters. What I tend to see, and I want to get your opinion on this, is people will look at a lot of MMA-type training and then try to apply that to their jiu-jitsu training. And I think, I won't get into why I, I think that's you know the right, or the, wrong, or the right or the wrong thing, but I wanted to get your opinion on how do, how much does the training differ for an MMA fighter versus someone who's training jiu-jitsu? Maybe it doesn't. <clears throat> it, I guess it depends at what stage we're at. Yeah. Now, if it's, if, I mean, jiu-jitsu, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, you're pretty much in, you could be in season all year. There is wish. no season. It's like, if you there wanted to, no yeah. yeah. It's just, you know, so I guess it's like, well, I'd like to to speak to my fighter BJJ and be like, right, okay, when are you looking at competing? Um, is there any? Because it, you know, a competition might rock up next weekend, and you you've got to be ready to go. So, uh, I'd like to look at where they're at in terms of competition. Yeah. Um, and I always like to get a strength phase done first. So GPP, general physical preparation, regardless of 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 who they are or what they do. Yeah. Um. And then the closer we get, then it'll go more into to specifics, so SPP. Yeah. Um, now, with the MMA guys, it's easier to program the rounds because you know you've got either three threes, three fives, yeah. that kind of thing, where a jiu-jitsu could be five minutes, it could be 10 minutes, it could be submission only. So then you've got different energy systems at play. Um, yeah. so it's really going to, on the SPP work, it's going to differ, um, quite a bit. Yeah. But GPP, very similar, uh, in, in the terms of the way I approach, uh, training. So um, for, the, like for, for the, so what, what are the kind of the, the movements that you're training with the, in the general physical preparation? So first of all, first of all, it's, um, a, a good base of mobility and stability um yep. obviously the the different ranges that um the fighters will go through through a fight you, you can't really train for like they'll be in positions that you can't really um train for in the gym because yep. of that kit like let's say um some of the the angles that your shoulder will be put in or arm will be put in in an arm bar or something you can't really train for that yeah um so being able, being able to handle um, their own body weight um, in their end range of motion mm. and 
possibly beyond in a controlled manner. That's what we we I like to. Can you get can, you can you give me an example of a, one or two examples of exercises? Um, ones I like really like Cossack squats. Yeah. Um, so so a, a wide wide stance. Uh, load it with a kettlebell again. Offset two kettlebells could do. Um, again, I'm going to be really looking for joint neutrality. So making sure as we lower over, let's say to the right side, that my knee is in alignment with my ankle is in alignment with my hip. Like we don't want any kind of um, uh, knee valgus or we don't want the foot kind of um, pronating, any pronation of the foot. So it's got to be controlled, as, yeah. as controlled as we can be in the gym. Yeah. Um, so this is gonna, a quick, quick, just to jump in, when you say mobility and stability, then that's people thinking could think, well, okay, you stretch your hamstrings, you stretch your hip flexors, which I know, you, you, I know you're going to do, but you're thinking about it in terms of how mobile are you, but in a stable position in these end yeah. ranges of motion. It's a very different approach to what people conventionally think of as mobility. Yeah, yeah. So definitely not just kind of like stretching the legs or stretching your hamstrings. It's, it's having control in those end ranges. So... Mm. Uh, I'll do a lot of contract relax stretching. Um, Let's take a, so if you put your left leg forward, um, both of your hands are on the ground and your right leg is behind you. So you're stretching your hips out. So let's take that one. Yeah. What I'd like to do is lift your right foot up. You'll then hold on to your right ankle. And you, when I say go, you'll start to press your right foot into the hand so you're adding that resistance yeah i will then say release you release that foot and then immediately try and pull your heel towards your glute and that's really going to activate the hamstrings glutes and your hips in that um that extended position the right hips in ex- ex- um in extension already yeah and your your own body's having to keep hold of that and now people will cramp straight away and it's about controlling that end range of motion. Like you've got to be able to control it. So we, is um, there a name? Is there a name? I'm finding it hard to picture. Is there a name for this exercise and people can maybe look it up? Maybe you'll have to post a video on your Instagram. I'll have to post a video. Okay. I'll yeah. have to post a okay. video because yeah, to name it, I don't know. I'm, you know, a million people have done it. I just, I wouldn't know the name. Yeah. Um, I'll definitely, I'll definitely do your video. It's yeah. a good one. Okay. Um, do a lot of uh, internal, external rotation of the hips to get, um, obviously, uh, full range of motion within the hip joint, especially for the fighters who need yeah. to be, be able to get pretty much their foot over their head in some yeah. cases. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so having, having yeah, internal, external rotation, again, it's hard to describe um, I've never actually had to describe it. I always demo it so people can see what I'm doing. Yeah, I've, I've, um, one example that I give people is if you fall internal rotation is if you're sitting, imagine you're sitting on the, you, well not imagine, you're sitting on the floor, your feet, you're sitting upright, but your feet are in front of you, but the knees are bent at about a 90 degree angle. And then you've yep. got your hands behind you. And then while keeping one leg straight up into the air, you rotate one knee down to try to touch the ankle on the other side. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's one I get people doing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, um, yeah, I'll definitely do a little video, a sequence. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be wicked. That'll be wicked. That'll be wicked. 
so yeah definitely having the ability to control your own body weight um in as 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 much range as possible is is something that i, I get the guys to do, do, do does this does this come become more important to you than traditional strength work of upper body push upper body pull leg drive hip drive is this stuff i'm sure you probably don't separate it but do you think this becomes more important than, than the traditional strength work uh no no i, okay. I think i think i um I have to make them as as well rounded and prepared as possible, and I think they have to go hand in hand with each other, depending on mm. where they are within their within within their, within their training. Um, yeah. The 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 body's ability to move and and stay as injury free as possible. If if someone hasn't got um, the uh, the right amount of mobility where they can get into the bottom of a squat and still hold lumbar and neutral lumbar spine, um, then I'm not doing my job as a coach because yeah. they're not prepared to squat. Yeah. If you see what I mean. So they're not yeah. ready to squat. So yeah, we do need to squat. Um, but then they're not prepared if they can't get into position safely. Yeah. And then we definitely shouldn't be loading if they can't get there. Yeah, I think that is so important. Unfortunately, turns a lot of people off because it's not as sexy. You know, getting strong and going, yeah, you know, I just, I just dead, you know, I, I deadlifted twice my body weight is. It's a lot. It's a lot. Well, it's not. People think it's sexier, right? And I think, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, for a lot of people, taking several steps steps back to then build that foundation, you know. People I work well, then, with, it's 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 a lot harder to motivate people. I think to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then that's obviously my role as a coach yeah. to get them to want what they need and not need what they want. So mm. they have to realize that we're doing this for a reason. And going back earlier, like I don't want you chasing numbers. I'd rather you chase better movement patterns and control of your body rather than getting a you know a, a three RM in your in your deadlift. Like we don't need that's not a it's not the purpose of what we're doing so i have to get that across to everyone i'm training why we're doing it yeah um, sometimes yeah. i don't have to sometimes i don't have to but if i need to i have to you'll have to justify it but you know yeah. i think that's what everyone should do this should question everything yeah so. yeah so just a time check. I've got about 10 minutes before I need to unfortunately drop off. So I want to, but I, I did want to get into some of the more sports specific stuff for jujitsu, but I also want to leave you enough time to people shout outs and that kind of stuff as well. So yeah. if, if you've got fighters now, first question, actually, but what, if you know, I ideally, you know, when a competition is coming up, for example, the European championships are in January out in Lisbon, the end of January, what's kind of an ideal time frame? to start getting into the more sports-specific strength and conditioning for a jiu-jitsu fighter? Um, I'd like to do minimum, yeah. minimum SPP work four to six weeks. Four to six weeks. Yeah. But that's already coming from a base of having done the general preparation. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if it doesn't happen, then, um, you know, if we can't get the strength in, then we can't get the strength in. I understand these, these competitions can pop up yep. um, and we just have to, to deal with it 
the next time just make it as um you know I'm, I'm not going to put the athlete under in immense strain and and mm-hmm. high intensity straight away they need to build up to that yeah um because they're training for jiu-jitsu too so it's it, it's a lot of a toll on the body because a lot of i think things are starting to change but the the whole um kind of mindset is of um obviously jiu-jitsu came about not came about but um hoist gracie in the ufc he was a smaller yeah visibly weaker guy and he's absolutely annihilating everybody it was that thought process of well you don't have to be that strong you can get away with with um with doing these techniques which i think you you could but now i think the game is changing um and if you've got someone on equal training age so let's say yourself black belt and another black belt nine times out of ten i believe if you're the stronger person with the technique you're more likely to win and succeed. I t- um, to, to use the phrase that you used earlier, that your strength conditioning is not going to make you better at your sport or better prepared for it. What I always tell people is that, you know, strength and conditioning, and the strength and conditioning, as we said, is such a broad term. Um, but any physical preparation for jiu-jitsu is not going to make you better at jiu-jitsu. It's going to make you better able to execute the jiu-jitsu that you do learn. Yep. I think it's it's yeah. it's almost I've I've come across arguments of people saying you don't need to do it, but I've never come across an argument that convinces me that it's a bad idea when done smartly. Yeah. Like if you can if you can resist that sweep because you are stronger within the core, if you can resist yeah. if you can uh hip escape because you are more explosive, if you can do that over and over again because you've got a bigger engine you're more likely going to win because the yeah. other guy is going to either gas or, or lose, lose strength and fail. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you would, I know it's going to differ by person, it's going to differ by competition, but the rest are going to ask some kind of you know, general frameworks that you follow in that four to six weeks leading up to a competition? Um, I like to build a, um, definitely an aerobic capacity, cardiovascular yeah. capacity. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I will generally do that through the rower machine or the assault bike. Um, I think they limit, I, I much prefer them to running because they limit um, impact on the joints. Yep. And most fighters, most people can't run properly. They haven't got an efficient run. They haven't got an efficient running gait. So they're just going to end up hurting themselves in the long run. Uh, if you're running on roads, that type of stuff, it's just not, what kind of protocol would you give them uh, in terms of doing it on the rower or the assault bike? So let's take a, a great workout I like to do on the rower. Uh, depending on the time frame, um, let's take a 10-minute. So to build that aerobic capacity, let's take a 10, 15, maybe 20-minute workout on the rower. So every minute on the minute, I would do 10 hard strokes, as hard as you physically can. Uh, I'd set the display to watts so you can see a power output. Yeah. That way it's measurable. You can see over time if you're getting, getting stronger, getting more powerful. Mm. But then I would do, for the remainder of that minute, I would have a recovery level. So let's say uh, 120 watts on the rower. And you have to keep to that for your recovery yeah. watts. Now the next, next week we might do five hard strokes on the minute, then 10, then 15, then 20 but I want you to keep your recovery output to 140. Yeah. 
So you're going to increase that cardio capacity and that power output, which we want to keep that power output as sustainable as possible, as maximal as possible for as long as possible. So if you're in the dying seconds of a fight and you need to, to escape, you've got that power to be able to escape. Um, yeah. Or, or turn the tide or throw the punch, which is going to knock out your opponent or whatever it might be. I'm making a bunch um, of notes here, by the way. This is, this, is really, this is really good stuff. I've got loads, mate. I can send you them, so yeah. don't worry about that. Um, so, yeah, increasing the cardiovascular output. Um, still, I like to do what's called um, blood, blood flow restriction training. So, okay. let's say I've just done, um, let's take it, the, the MMA lads from last night, I've got to do a minute on the rower as fast as he can. So a tar- I'll give him a target of, say, 300 meters to, to achieve. And then the movement after that, so this is more SPP, so uh, it'd be three three-minute rounds. Um, minute two would be, uh, let's say, a single-leg glute bridge. You'd hold that position with a single-arm dumbbell press. So your body is under maximal tension. It's in uh, an isometric tension too, and you've got to control that load pressing up without rotating or falling. Or yeah, um, yeah. So I do say five reps each side, and then that's your blood flow restriction as well as. Go on. So I was going to ask you. So when you said blood flow restriction, I thought you meant there's um, it's called katsu training, where they put rubber bands around parts of the limb. But so oh, how? No. Yeah, no, I can see you shaking your head there. You're like, no, definitely not that. But um, yeah. so when you say blood flow restriction, you mean so they do, they would like sprint for a minute, you're saying on the runner, and then they would do go into these positions? Yeah, on the rower. So they've, they've, they've gone all out. Their the heart's rower. having to, to pump the blood. Now, now you put them in a, uh, a position where maximum muscle tension must be re- uh, achieved. So mm. it might be, a hold so you stood up tall you've got two kettlebells in the front rack position so underneath the chin resting on your arms and you have to achieve maximal tension not allow the spine to to shift into an anterior tilt uh you're keeping the abs braced as tight as you can your glutes your quads everything completely tensed the heart is going to have to pump harder to get the blood back around to the body yeah okay size of the heart mm, that's fascinating i'm gonna to need to dive into this i'm gonna need to do that. okay but it's important to do that after they've done say a minute on the rower or the minute on the assault because yeah. the yeah. heart rate is already raised what i love about it as well is the mental aspect it is hard to do but if you if you're um in an mma fight you might be striking for the first minute it might be all out war and then you end up on the ground and you've got someone's body weight on top. You've got maximal, you've got, you know, another person, your own body weight on top of you, restricting you. Yeah. So you have to be able to deal, your body has to be able to deal with that load. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's great for men- mental training. I'm yeah. really, really big into, into, obviously we've not got much time, but uh, training the brain uh, and also with that breathing, controlling the breath. I was going to ask you my next question was going to be about breathing and I've seen yeah. that you I've seen that you have I don't know the name of them but you have like a setup of 
seven or eight different lights and they'll flash different colors and i'm assuming that's yeah. kind of like the cognitive side of things what yeah. um but you know given our time is running out i'm going to ask you what do you normally do for the, the breathing work uh, i try and get them to do it in between rounds and i try them to uh, mouth short nasal breathe yeah um it's horrific slightly drowning um, yeah. I know you did a podcast on it uh, a while back with yeah. um, Patrick, Patrick, Patrick yeah. McKeown. And yeah. yeah, so similar stuff like that, trying to control, but having mm -hmm. to get it into their head that they've just been at war. They now yeah. have to listen and, and be alert to mm -hmm. whatever their trainer is about to, to tell them. So controlling the breath, getting their mind focused so they can take on board information assimilate that information know what they have to do in the next round to either to win the fight so it's, yeah. it's trying to control so immediately as soon as the bell rings they're big, on. deep big deep diaphragmatic breath it's like a uh, a reaction bell goes boom breath in i'm walking to my corner i'm starting to bring my heart rate down yeah and listen to what's been told listen to what i'm being told by my by my corner do you and use just as important? Do you use a bell when you train to simulate the same sound they were having a fight? Um, I would, but my time was broke, so the the, uh, <laughs> the, the bell doesn't sound. So I just have to shout time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's getting really um, deep. But that, like, no, that's a good one. I might get a bell in. Just ring it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's just like um, I my background is in psychology, and it's a little bit like um, Pavlov's dogs. Which I think everyone yeah, yeah. knows, right? They, they they ring the bell, the dogs are like, you know, generates. Yeah. People know that, right? So it's that classical conditioning. Yeah. Is, I, I, I'm I, I'm I'm disappointed that I need to cut it short because I'm really enjoying this conversation, <laughs> and I think what no we're going to need to do is maybe um, after you know one of your next fighters gets into a competition or something maybe after they've, they've done that we can kind of get back on and and dive you know we you know we know who you are now but get really just get really into the meat of some of this stuff because i think we're just scratching the surface um, yeah definitely uh, that'd be great that'd be brilliant let people yeah, let people know though where they can where they can find you marty and some of the stuff that you've got coming up etc yeah so um my instagram is cumbria underscore s underscore c um, so obviously all, all stuff on, on, on that, the gym Facebook page is Cumbria strength and conditioning. Um, we've got a seminar with the head strength and conditioning coach, uh, of American top team, uh, Phil Daru. Um, mm -hmm. he's, he's going to be flying out to the UK next April. Um, so yeah, there's places still available on that. He's an immense coach. I do learn a lot from him as well. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, that's that's going down in April. Um, you can message me on on any format for for details on that. Yeah. Uh, the email is matty at cumbriasc.co.uk. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much me on the uh, on the social media. That's awesome. Well, I'll link I'll link to these things in the show notes as well, so people 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 have got them. They can get in touch with you. Um, but man, I've some fascinating stuff here um you know a lot of stuff i think we think very similarly about a lot of the stuff that, that um that we do but i've a lot of great stuff that i've picked up particularly i'm, I'm definitely going to read the book about the fascia fascia lines because that's the one area yep. that i 
I'm aware of, I've got a little bit of information, but I've never found one source that I can really dive deeply into it. So it sounds like that's, that's, that's the book to go after. Yep, definitely. Well, Marty, thank you so much, buddy. Um, it's been great speaking to you. I know you're, you're going to get now, in, now into your evening of training. Um, yep. So in, enjoy that. And I'll, I'll send you the link when the podcast is out, but this has, been, this has been fantastic, buddy. Thank you so much. Brilliant, mate. No, thank you for having me. It's, uh, yeah, it's great. Hopefully we'll do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Right, buddy. Well, we'll speak soon. Take care, okay? Nice one, mate. Cheers. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.